Well, good morning. Apparently they put this rug down so I wouldn't wander beyond this. So those in the front row can just warn me as I kind of skim the edges here. Good morning. Look, I have to tell you, I am very, very excited to be here this morning on this new platform. I get to try it out. Uh, lots of feedback, please, not to me, but to Kevin and Jeff and all those other folks, what we think about it. Uh, look, the reason why I'm really excited to be here is when Kevin reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and by email and said, hey, would you be interested in speaking uh, Orange October kickoff uh, three-part series? Are you... I didn't get past that word. I was like already typing. Yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I mean, Orange October, Orange October. I have a thing for the color orange. You see, I love orange. It's by far, by far my favorite color. I don't know why it's just happened that way. I do get a little upset when people call orange a secondary color. There's nothing secondary about it. There's something about primary colors. There's only a few of them, secondaries. I like to think of it as a super color. You know, like if you could pull orange apart, you would create two beautiful colors, yellow and red. <laughs> but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Just in case you think I'm exaggerating, maybe the next slide. Those are some of the orange clothing that I own. <clears throat> My wife, Jerry, reminded me that there were two shirts in the hamper that I could have added to the picture. I could have added some running hats and some running shoes that are orange as well. But of course, this isn't about my obsessive compulsive behavior, although I think this is God's confirmation to me that it's okay. <laughs> but if I set that aside for a minute, what we're really talking about is what Yvonne introduced to us a few minutes ago, which is this, this ministry, this sense of impacting lives of future generations for Jesus Christ through this partnership, through this partnership between the church and family. And as Yvonne said, the church represents yellow, the light of the world, the light that we are to be, and red representing the heart and the warmth of glow of family. And when we bring those two together in a purposeful thought, this partnership that we can create together to impact the lives of our children and teens, and as Yvonne said, for hundreds of years to come. It is uh, based, the concept itself and the colors and the orange is based on a ministry that a pastor in the U.S. called Reggie Joyner began. It's not new here at Forsbrook. For those of you who've been here for many years, you know Orange and we always come back to this, this ministry, this thought. It's important to think that this is not a three-week ministry. I like to think of this as a three-week celebration of this ministry that we have at Forestbrook and in other churches that we've been doing for years. And as Yvonne says, we're gonna, this, these three weeks, sort of try to bring it into a little narrower focus. If you think, well, look, I've heard sermons every October since who knows when, what's this gonna be different about? We're gonna try to bring it into a slightly better focus and think about how we participate in this uh, ministry. This week, we're going to talk about the church, the yellow. That's my job. Next week, Kevin is going to speak about family. And then the third week, Carl's going to come and bring these two together and sort of summarize. Let's think of it as a three-week celebration. And let's remember 
all of the people that almost by definition are not in this room here today. They're downstairs, they're shepherds, they're doing their job, and Yvonne and Jim and so on, all these other people who so often dedicate their time and their energies and their emotional, uh, 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 not baggage, their, their emotional <laughs> <laughs> sort of quotient to this beautiful ministry. Now, I want to start by talking about the church and its purpose in this ministry by actually backing up and talking about, in general, what do we believe is the purpose of the church in the world today? What's the purpose in the, of the church in the world yesterday, today, and tomorrow? I would argue does not change at all. Our, our adaptation of the world, the norms, and so on, so we can communicate this message changes. But fundamentally, what Christ called his bride, us, you and I, his church, to be in the world is not changed. This is my view. This is my definition. I'm not a theologian. If you're going to say, look, you missed some things, I think it's this or I think it's that. I believe if you want to bring this into focus, if you want to major on the major, that this captures what the role of the church is today. It's to proclaim glory. It's to proclaim his divinity, his dominion over the heavens and the earth, his amazing love and grace for us, how he wants to reconcile the world to himself, and he's doing so through this, this incredible gift that we've been giving, given, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And through that, we as a church want to be able to lead people in a more meaningful and authentic, spirit-led relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if that sounds like just a mission work, that we should go out into the community and the neighborhoods and faraway mission and preach the gospel, it is. But remember that this is also about you and I. This is also about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Is it, more, is it better? Is it meaningful? Is it authentic? Is it spirit-led? And if you miss the nuance of what's been going on in the last two years at this church, Kevin and the elders and others have been really focused on this notion of being spirit-led, being authentic. Now, church, in its own word, is a bit of a nebulous thought and definition. What is a church? Is it because we have a nice building? Is it because we have an address on Kearney? Is it because we have a senior pastor or a number of pastors? Like, how do, how do you become a church? If five of us are in my home Tuesday night, are we a church? See, it's not about bricks and mortar, and you know that. It's about us. It's about a community. And it's about you and I, shoulder to shoulder, being this community of believers, helping each other, helping each other along, and also serving the purpose out for us, to be his light in the world to proclaim God's goodness and grace and glory. We could go through a lot of study and debate the statement of what the church is. I could go through a lot of different passages to, to give you my perspective and why I believe this is true. But this pastor that I've referred to also talks about this, and he, and he brings it back to one of my favorite passages, which is in Revelation. 
fact, Revelation is one of my favorite books. I don't know why, because I start reading it, I get a headache, I put it down, I pick it up, I keep going again. But it's so filled, as the name says, it reveals so much to us. And I love the first chapter of Revelation. So we know this is the Apostle John. He's on the island of Patmos. He's there. We're, saying, we're told he's in the Spirit. And we're not sure what that means or why, whether he's perhaps worshiping with a group of believers, perhaps he's deep in prayer, perhaps he's almost like in a trance. But he sees, first he hears a voice calling to write these things down to the seven churches. And then he turns and he sees what he says looks like the Son of Man. He sees Jesus. And there's this great description in the first uh, chapter of Revelation about his hair is white, it's like wool and fire in his eyes and his feet, and it's just unbelievable. And he says, the Son of Man walking among lampstands with stars in his hands. And then we read in verse 17, and I think I've got it here, yes I do. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you see in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Just as an aside, it's interesting right here, Jesus, as he's communicating these words to John, he talks about seven churches. So he recognizes that we are one big church, but we're also individual churches, collections of believers who sort of willingly want to be together and share, as Kevin said earlier today, and worship, uh, you know, Christ our King. But what's important in this passage for me is a word that I've so often overlooked. I, I don't know about you, but when I read Scripture, there's a lot of adverbs and adjectives I just take as good writing. Oh, that's a good way of describing it. Oh, that's really neat. Oh, that's good. But in this case here, when he says that the seven lampstands are the seven churches, we have to pause there. This is very important. Because you see, in the Old Testament for the Jewish people, lampstands were extremely important. It goes back to the book of Exodus, chapters 25 through, when, when God is giving his instruction on building the tabernacle. And it's very detailed. Kevin referred to this earlier in September. It goes in great detail about the size, the rooms, and everything. And in these chapters, 25 to 27, it, we, we read about the holy place. And there's great description going on about the table, what the table is to be made of, the type of wood, the dimension, the gold laminate, how the gold was to be formed, on and on. The purpose for that table was to hold the bread, the bread of presence. The Jews called it the shrew bread. But that was the bread that represented that God was present. God was in this holy place. And across from the table was to be the lampstand. It also has great detail on how it was to be formed. But the most important thing in that is that the lampstand was to be right across from the table, not to be moved, and the table not to be moved. And the lampstand was to be the only light in the holy place. 
And the priests were to fill it every day with oil so it would never go out. So when Jesus says to John in Revelation, the churches are the lampstands. See, he's saying that the church is what gives light to God's presence in this world. And it's never to go out. It's this beautiful image of understanding what it is that we're called to do. A few weeks ago, uh, Jerry and I were on vacation. We're down in the U.S., and we were in a significant time zone difference. So I I get up early anyway, so I was up at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning waiting for something to come on TV. At 5 o'clock, I'm flipping around, and sure enough, a Christian show is just beginning. I thought, oh, cool. And, you know, I just caught the very beginning of it, and they were showing a video of Michael W. Smith, and they were going to show that later in the program. And I got all excited. I love Michael W. Smith. And it's going to be about his life and his music and his family. I thought, wow, this is so cool. And when the little video intro ended, the hosts came on. So I'm saddling in. I finally got something to do at 5 o'clock in the morning. The hosts immediately, this is the week going on about the confirmation of the Supreme Court judge in the U.S. The hosts immediately began by saying that this was a very important time for us as believers that we needed to pray for this man, that we needed to pray for his defense. We needed to pray that that God would keep the evil one and his minions away from him and away from attacking him. Now, I'm not here to debate each side or which side I'm on. I just, I was struck because I'd begun preparing for this and I was struck by how wrong this was for us to get into this debate. I don't remember anywhere in Scripture where it says, my disciples, go battle for the laws. Make sure the laws are on our side. This is how the kingdom of God is going to come. If you win the laws, go beat Caesar at Caesar's game. I don't read anything about that in the Bible. Not to pick verses out of thin air, But I also thought of John. I thought of the passage when Jesus, John 13, 35. This is the time when Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm about to go soon. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me. So it's getting, you know, a pretty tense time. This is when Peter says, oh boss, look, I'm going to follow you anywhere. I don't know where you're going. I'll lay my life down. And Jesus says, poor Peter, You're going to denounce me three times before the rooster crows. But Jesus turns to him and he says, I give you a new command. The command is this, love one another as I love you. And then he he says, they will know, everyone will know you're my disciples this way, that you love one another. Now, the flip side of that verse, by the way, is God is also telling the disciples and telling you and I, the world will judge us. The world judges us, and they will judge us by how we love one another. And it doesn't mean just the proverbial you and I. It means how we will love, how we will love our neighbors, how we will extend our love. Back to this debate. I don't think that is what God intended when he set 
is churches to be the light and the presence of God and His goodness and His grace and His love for us. Now, you may think, where's he going? What, why am I talking about this? I thought we were going to talk about Orange, Orange October, ministry to children and youth. Why is this at all relevant? Well, it's exactly relevant, and it's right on point. And the reason is that when we look at the role that we play the church in this ministry, the yellow, the bright yellow, is exactly the same in orange, in children and youth's ministry, as it is our role in the world. To proclaim God's glory, to let them know of his divinity, to let them know of his goodness and grace to let them know of this incredible gift that he's given us, that he's reconciling the world to himself as we speak, and to help them lead authentic and more meaningful lives in Christ Jesus. Now, you're going to say, Dan, there's a lot more to children's ministry and youth ministry to that. There is a lot. And there is a lot to do with mentoring and helping and coming alongside and doing all those things that brothers and sisters who worship together will do for each other. But at the core, what the church is called to do is exactly that. When we think about our children, we think about teens and future generations. I don't think this church has uh, had a perfect record, but we're not bad. But you know, too much in this world, especially in the last, I would say, 50 years, has been about churches trying to define the behavior of children and youth. We seem to want to gravitate to being able to define what their behaviors should be, what their norms should be, even, even to the extent of what they should look like. It's as if if we can build this fence, like this carpet, and if we can define all the behaviors then these new generations can be inside this carpet and eventually they too will know Christ. Paul Henderson, a friend of mine, used to say this expression all the time. You can stand in a garage for 20 years, you're never going to become a car. <laughs> we can create this pen for these generations. We can get really specific tattoos, no tattoos, drinking this, that, that, that. We're never going to become a car. It's the same holds true. If you think I'm really far-fetched, uh, now, many years ago now, I was an elder here at this church. One of, our first, one of my first meetings we got there was this debate because the Harry Potter book, the first book, was just coming out. We had an extensive discussion as elders over two meetings whether we should allow the book, we should allow the children in our church to read the book. We went on and on about it. Look, I, I get it. I get if you have an opinion that, you know, the Harry Potter books, which I've never read, to be honest. The Harry Potter books, you know, they're, they're about mystic and magic and everything else. And it's not necessarily consistent with what we would read in the Bible. I get it. But I don't think it's the church's job to parent and the church's job to overparent and decide on behalf of parents. And we prayed. I remember praying about this, that he would give us insight as to what to do. And not only that, but how would you administer it? How do you apply it? 
Reggie Joyner, the pastor of Orange Ministry, has this great expression. And he says, when people mess around like this, they're moving the lampstand. They're moving it away from its job. As I was preparing for this, I was thinking, you know, when we were praying, God's probably thinking, you knuckleheads, get your hands off the lampstand. I didn't ask you to do that. Stop, you're messing it up. Go back. You know, our children, and especially our youth, also get to judge us. John 13, 35 also applies in this case. They look at us, they hear our voices, and they say, hmm, what they're telling me isn't consistent with what I'm hearing from this church. And unless they see love, unless they see discipleship in action, what's it worth? 1 Corinthians 13.1. Many of you will know this passage. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians, and he's talking about all the gifts that the whole, through the Holy Spirit were given. And he's talking about prophecy and speaking in tongues and, and all these incredible gifts. And then, in, then he switches, and in chapter 13, he says, I, this is the message uh, version, but he basically says, I, I have the NIV in my head, I guess, uh, you know, you could speak in tongues, but if you do not have love, you're nothing but a clanging cymbal or resounding gong. And then he goes on through that whole first part of the chapter. You could give everything to the poor. You could, you know, your body could be in flames for his name. If you do not have love, you have nothing. On and on. And I wonder sometimes, as a church, as we talk to our children and we talk to the youth, unless we really show the core within who we are as a church, and we, you and I, as a community of believers, that to them we just sound like a resounding gong or clanging cymbal, or in the message, we just sound like a rusty gate. And of course, I had to think of the Charlie Brown cartoon. What do adults say in Charlie Brown? Nothing. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. I wonder how many youth here could relate. No, I went to church, yeah, wah, 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 wah. Non-ending. Uh, uh, Alex and Paige, Alex, our youngest son, and Paige's wife, uh, who are living in Calgary, recently moved back to Toronto. Hooray, hooray for Jerry and I. We're absolutely thrilled, and the rest of the family, and we're hoping it's pretty good for them, too. Uh, in Calgary, they were involved in uh, youth ministry. They were leading uh, girl and boys uh, small groups. And I, I wanted to ask them, look, I, my age, I can't relate to what youth face today. I can't even come close. But they're only like 10 years out of high school in that age, in that bracket, maybe even less. And I wondered, has anything changed? The youth today, do they face things that are different than you did? And they said, you know, uh, a lot of it is the same, but there's this intensity and this permanency that occurs now that is so scary for them. And I wasn't quite sure I was following, and so they gave me an example. They said, you know, when we're in high school, if you stumble down the stairs, 
you know, maybe 10 people were watching you. They got a good laugh. By noon hour, four people in the cafeteria said, hey, dummy, I heard you tumble down the stairs, goofball, you know. But, you know, it was gone. And they said, nowadays, you stumble down the stairs, three people got it on video. One of them's put it up. Sure enough, it's gone viral. It's been seen 12,000 times by lunchtime. You're getting trolled. You're getting all sorts of notes and everything else. And oh, by the way, it's still there a week later and a month later. And I suspect the example they gave me of stumbling down the stairs was just very polite for me. I suspect there's a lot of things that they could have described that our youth face every day. And it's not easy out there. What's the role of the church? It's to be there for them, to come alongside them, to remind them that God's love is good, and he sees them as perfect. There's a story of a woman listening to the radio. Her husband had gone off to run some errands. She's listening to the radio, and all of a sudden, the, the, the news comes on that said, yeah, a lot of traffic on Highway 1. Uh, for some reason, there's a car driving the wrong way on the highway, and it's causing a lot of disturbance. Please be careful. It's dangerous on Highway 1. So the woman gets very concerned for her husband. And so she calls immediately. Sure enough, he answers on his car phone, hands-free. It's all good. He answers, and she says, oh, honey, honey, I'm so glad I got hold of you. I just heard on the news there's a car going the wrong way on the highway. Before she could even finish, her husband says, Honey, honey, it's not just one car. There are hundreds of them. <laughs> now, maybe that's a story in reverse. But I think a lot of our youth could tell us today, sometimes they feel like they're that one car going the wrong way on the highway. We as a church, are we going to be able to come alongside them and say, you know what? You're going the right way. You are. By the way, you're perfect. Did you know that? You're perfect. In God's eyes, you are perfect. You're the perfect height. You're wearing the perfect clothes, the perfect shoes. Your hair is perfect. Your makeup's perfect. You got the coolest baseball cap. You are perfect. Your soul is perfect. I know it's tough. I know going that way is tough but you're going the right way. And you think our youth would like to have other fellow youth standing side by side saying, oh, you know what, we're not the only ones. There's five of us going the wrong way, but hey, we're going the right way. What about mentors? What about small group leaders? What about the men and women in this congregation who spend time with them? Not only talking about God's word and the realities and so on, but being there in a quiet moment where those kids can come alongside and say, yeah, I messed up. No, you're not. No, you're not. The role of the church in this orange ministry for youth is to be there for these youth, for these next generations. And I didn't mean to skip out on children. Our responsibilities and our roles are the same and it's so important, and it's so beautiful. You know, Christ says to have, to have faith like a child. And we think, ah, well, you know, they're, yeah, but they don't understand. It's way more complicated than that. Like, look, look at all the pages. You know, there's so much more to it. And oh, by the way, life is going to catch up and the realities and everything else. That's why Jesus said, no, to have faith like a child. It's not that complicated. 
It is that simple. And I love to see kids and children and how they respond to the message that their God is good and their God is great. And how they share their faith. They have no pride getting in the way of sharing this great news. You know, Jerry and I, and actually some others in this, in this room uh, as I speak, many, many years ago ran a program called Monday Nighters. On Monday night, we were very creative with the name. <laughs> and it was for kids, and I even forget, it was grades 2 to 5 or 2 to 6 or somewhere in that range. Every Monday evening, we would get together. Uh, you know, the kids were from the congregation. This is in the old church, but even before the extension of the old church. This is the old, old, old church. And, um, uh, you know, I would say about half of the kids were from our church, from our congregation. About half of the kids were from the neighborhood. And we would, uh, you know, give them little prizes and stuff. But the, the, the premise was very simple. We had games. We had fun. Kids from the neighborhood knew that coming into this church was a fun place, and we told stories about the mighty God that they know, and we told stories about Jesus Christ and the cross. And then every night we'd send them home with a flyer. I was really good at clip art. I can't believe I used to buy all this clip art. Does anybody know clip art? You know, they make really fancy jokes and everything else. And then at the bottom we would put a verse. And they had to memorize the verse. By the way, we put them alphabetically. I still know from A to Z, we had some weird verses in there on some of those letters. And every night, Monday night, they'd come in, and Jerry and a couple others would take attendance, and they'd know their verse. They'd get points. If you were in the neighborhood, not from this church, you came five times, uh, we gave you a Bible. I used to go to a Christian bookstore in the garage sale in the back and buy every single one they had for sale. I think I gave away Russian Bibles. <laughs> I used to buy them between a dollar and two, but the Word of God was going into their homes. Every now and then, we would say, next Monday night is a friend night. Invite your friends. If we said to this congregation, next Sunday is a friend Sunday, invite your neighbors, that row might be filled and a few more seats might be filled. We would almost double the number of kids. Their faith is so beautiful and perfect. They're, they're so open about sharing and bringing their friends in. In that little church that I described, now you have to understand, the doors there, right, Doug, you remember when we opened the doors from outside, you know, where the snow was, you walked into the sanctuary. The cloak room was like where the sound booth is. We'd have over 100 kids in there. I got in trouble with the elders because we used every single part. The baptism tank was one of the favorite games of all the kids. <laughs> <clears throat> Just simple ministry, the message of God, the power of the cross, Jesus Christ. I'll share one more story with you. This, I have permission uh, from mom and dad. Do I have permission from mom? Dad's sitting here in the front row. This is our grandson, Isaac. Uh, I think last summer, so he would have been three, I guess, uh, but he's, uh, he's been very verbal for quite a long time. And so they're leaving to go somewhere, and they're going outside, and so uh, I guess Isaac's going down his side of the car, and maybe Lindsay's putting uh, baby Seth into his car seat first. And then she hears from the other side of the car, and perhaps you were there, Tim, she hears from the other side of the car, Isaac talking to the neighbors across the street. 
which he says in a very loud voice, your God is weak. Your God is weak. Now maybe he needs to zero in a little bit on his finesse, but you gotta love his you know, beginning of his testimony and sharing the gospel. One other thing I want to say before I wrap up uh, before our communion. Uh, when it comes to children ministry, uh, it's always been important at Forest Brook. I do want to take a moment to just recognize a moment in the history of this church that was very important. And that's when Kathy Ribble came on board. And Kathy was our very first children's pastor, and I don't want to single her out. In fact, I, I mentioned I was going to talk to her, and she says, well, well, uh, talk about her, and she says, well, I'm not going to be there. So, careful what you say. Uh, what was important about Kathy's arrival was, of course, we now had, you know, more uh, professional help, if you will, on children's ministry. But what was the most profound thing and the reason why I think it's a moment in history for our church is Kathy began this crusade on us, the elders, on leadership, on everybody, to say, look, this is not a babysitting service. We're not waiting for these children to grow up so they can come and join us at church. They are at church now. They are worshiping now. I remember her saying, I don't read anywhere where the, where the Holy Spirit's got a definition of how big your body cavity has to be for the Holy Spirit to indwell you. These are children of God like you and I, and we need to think of it that way. And she's never let us up on it. And Yvonne has taken that mantle and has continued. And the shepherds that work downstairs and everybody involved in children's ministry continue with that vein and remind us of that. And I think it's absolutely amazing. The purpose of yellow in the world and in children and in youth is the same. This is basic fundamental message of God, his power, his might, his goodness, his love, the ultimate sacrifice of his son so he can reconcile all of us to himself. And the kingdom of God comes to this earth through you and I as we are his hands and feet in the light of the world. We're going to break for communion, and uh, I'm going to leave you with this thought, and then I'm going to come back afterwards. And I'm not going to ask you to write it down. I'm not going to take up your answers. But as you reflect over time of communion, and you just think, as we do, about what we're about to celebrate here in the bread and the wine. I want you to think about your childhood, your youth, and perhaps even adulthood. What were the, what were the marking times? Who or what was said when you were a child or a youth that really made a difference for you? Perhaps a bad difference that took a long time to correct, or perhaps a difference in your life that marked the beginning of your journey with Jesus Christ. Be thankful. Be thankful that you're here. Be thankful for that event. And if it was a bad event as a childhood, be thankful for whoever and however brought you back here. I told you I wouldn't take up stories, but I am going to take your, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I am going to just share very briefly my own story. 
uh, good and bad. Uh, I uh, grew up in a Catholic church, uh, very Catholic. I uh, went to a private school that was run by nuns. They're great uh, individuals, they're very nice, uh, but it was all about the rules. It was all about the, bo the borders. We had rules for everything. Uh, you know, in fact, going up to the second floor, you weren't allowed to take two steps at a time. If you were caught taking two steps at a time, uh, you know, you had penance to do and so on. And it was all about rules. And I, look, I had a lot of head knowledge and I wanted to be religious. But after a while, it just kind of wore off on me. And after a while, that Charlie Brown sound, wah, 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 was entirely my life. And so I just walked away from it all. And then when you think about the purpose of the church and what we were talking about before in leading people to more meaningful and authentic relationships in Jesus Christ, uh, almost 30 years ago now, uh, somebody in this church invited Jerry and I to come uh, here one Sunday to the old, old church. And there are two other people who are here today who were there and who just came alongside us and said, you know what, we have a family same age as yours and so on. And the preacher that day, a, well, a good friend of many of us here, Rod Wilson, uh, spoke on God's love. And I'd like to tell you that his message was incredibly profound and deep and theological. It wasn't. It was so straightforward and simple that it might have been the same lesson plan as they were giving the kids downstairs. God's love is perfect. He loves you. He gave his son for you. And you are reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. As simple as that. And as they say, God got out his pen that day and changed my life story forever. So when we think about Orange Ministry, let's keep that in mind. I'm so thankful for this church for obviously the story I just shared with you. But I'm thankful for this church for so many individuals. I already mentioned Kathy, uh, Jim who's out uh, in the sanctuary. The first time Jim came here, the first thing he got onto was small groups. We had small groups before, but Jim said that's gotta be a priority. Sure, Saturday nights and Friday nights and fun is good, but if we don't have small groups, well, we don't have a youth program. And leaders from those small groups emerged. Some of you are still leading small groups 10, 15 years later, dedicating your time, impacting the lives of future generations. I am so thankful for Yvonne, who's carried on from Kathy's work, for all the shepherds who are downstairs, for the family uh, council who uh, thanked me for speaking this morning and then said, sorry, we're going to miss it, we're downstairs. I'm so thankful. I gotta say, I keep this for last, I'm most thankful for our senior pastor, Kevin. I don't know that he can articulate this. He knows he's on a journey. I don't know if he can articulate it in this way. For the last few years, Kevin has had this incredible burden in his own life, but for you and I, that we would be spirit-led, that we would be at the core of what we're called to do. And I think in Reggie Joyner's words, I think Kevin Armstrong has got his two hands on that lampstand and his feet hooked onto the table, and nobody in this church is gonna move that lampstand away from that table. And I'm thankful for that.
To God be the glory. Amen.